Well, as we move into our teaching time, we're going to continue our series that we started uh, earlier in the summer. 1 Corinthians, the stuff I was too scared to preach before. So back in 2007 is the last time uh, you and I went through 1 Corinthians together. And I was just out of school, and uh, this was my first uh, job, and I wanted to keep it. And so um, as I came to certain verses in 1 Corinthians, I thought, woof, that's hard. That's difficult. I don't know if I can handle that. That'll be controversial and scary. And so I kind of chickened out on some of them. But... Um, well, let me, let me share one with you and see, see what you think. Um, so here we are, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, which says, But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. So, so that's weird already. Um, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Okay, so I wish I could skip them again. No, why did I I skip these? A couple reasons. One, it talks a lot about widows, and it has words like that. And and when I was 34 years old, uh, I didn't know any widows. And so I didn't really know what to say. And two... Um, It sounded like these verses are saying that marriage was bad. But if you just couldn't keep yourself from having sex with people, then at least marry one of them and kind of limit yourself to that person. And and that sounded super weird. So I got scared. But it's 2019 now, and I've preached uh, lots of different writings of Paul. And I'm just coming back to these verses with with a a new courage. And the first thing I want to say, that when it comes to the church and culture and single people getting advice uh, that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, the, the Bible's words to single people, the church's words to single people still seem really awkward, still seems like there's a lot of odd pressure on single people from both religion and secular culture. So we're going to say that a lot this morning. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So today we have this letter from Apostle, the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, if you didn't know, was a Jewish rabbi who became a Christian. And so then he traveled the world, the Roman world, uh, starting Christian churches. And the way he would keep up with them is by writing letters back and forth between them. And so this writing we're studying, 1 Corinthians, is a letter that he was writing to keep up with one of those churches, a church in Corinth. And the people who live there are called Corinthians. So Paul's letters to these churches make up a third of what we call the New Testament of our Bible. So in this church, when it came to singleness and marriage, he basically had two factions on this point. Um, One faction was a very Roman culture kind of attitude about marriage and singleness and particularly being a widow or a widower. The Romans put a huge pressure on people to be married. Their attitude was that everyone in Rome ought to be making little Romans because we're just one city trying to rule the whole world and we could use a few more, thank you. And so uh, they put a lot of pressure on people to be married, cultural pressure. Um, widowers, men who lost their wives, could usually get married, remarried fairly quickly and did because they still did arranged marriages then. And so as long as a guy owned a little bit of property, somebody would try to get him to marry their daughter. Um, 
young women who lost their husbands were in a little bit different spot. And so the Romans came up with a law and it it, uh, had had widows only mourning the loss of their husband about 10 months before they were remarried. And the way they got them to do that is they had a law that if you were an unmarried widow and one of your relatives died, you couldn't inherit any of your inheritance if you were still single. So they were like, well, mourn as long as you like, but if you're one of your relatives dies and tries to leave you something, you can't have it if you're single. And so that had a lot of, because women had such a hard time in the first century anyway, like, well, I better get married and you know, I wouldn't want to miss an inheritance. If that should happen, that really messed my life up. And so that's how they put a lot of pressure on single folks to, to, to get remarried quickly if they had lost a spouse. So that's one faction in the Paul's church that would be very Roman and just keep that attitude. Now, we learned about another faction a couple of weeks ago when we were studying this chapter, and they were suggesting that all Christians ought to stop having sex with anyone, even their own spouse, because in their mind, sex was too physical, and if you really wanted to please God, you should just stick to mental and spiritual things. And so they would advise widows and widowers to never get remarried, and that would actually make them better Christians. They might have even said something to them like, the Apostle Paul lives like that. So, so why don't all of we live that way? So caught in the middle in this church are all these folks who have lost a spouse or probably a lot of people who have never been married yet at all. And, and some of them are hearing, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you married? Are you trying to be weird? You're not very Roman. And then from other people in their same church, they're hearing, oh, you're so lucky because sex is so unholy and now you don't ever have to worry about it. Aren't you, aren't you lucky? Um, so, so if some of these folks wanted to get married again, they kind of had this question like, well, should I do that? Is that really Christian? And some of them were content to remain single. They were wondering, is that okay? Or does that make me weird? Don't single people face all those same questions in the church today? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Interestingly, I went back and looked. The second sermon I ever preached here at Lakeland. So this would be um, 20, I have it written down here, 21 years ago. So I was 25. So I was not a pastor or anything. I was just somebody who came to church like you. And uh, I volunteered and ran the screens like Everett there. And, uh, but whenever Dan would leave town, since I was a school teacher, they'd let me teach something. And the second one I ever taught here was called What God Says to Lonely People. And I'd like to read you a couple of paragraphs that I wrote when I was 25 two decades ago in that message. It says, I know I may ruffle some feathers when I say this, but it's true. Church in America is built for couples. And if you aren't in a couple, you've noticed. We have home builders groups and series on being fathers and mothers and husbands and wives. And we talk about serving the family and raising kids. And when we do have groups that aren't built for couples, they're usually unisex, all boys, all girls. Uh, And even that group is usually 85% people involved in couples who do nothing but talk about their spouse for the whole 90 minutes. You end up feeling like a fifth wheel even when it's just the guys. Now, if your church is big enough, you might have a special group just for singles. But have you ever paid a visit to one of these singles church groups? Three words, Christian meat market. (laughs) Tons and tons of desperate, deprived college students looking for someone, anyone. It's like a bar without the drinking. And that makes it really scary. Because at least in a bar, when someone's disgustingly flirty, you can say, wow, she's drunk. But... (laughs) 
what can you say about a girl in a church group throwing herself at every passerby? Wow, must be the Holy Spirit. So that was fine. I came to terms with the fact that my church structure was not going to cure my loneliness. My next answer was to see if there might not be individual people who might be able to offer some advice or words of wisdom. After all, I'm not the first person in the world ever to be lonely. Surely everybody passes through this season at some point in their life and can offer something. So here it is. Five cheesy answers from the formerly lonely I got at church. Number one, well, just get yourself out there and find someone. Oh, well, thanks. I hadn't tried that. (laughs) Number two, stop trying so hard. Just do nothing and it'll like happen. (laughs) Number three, oh, everyone goes through that. And? Number four, if it's God's plan for you, you'll meet someone. And if it's not? And number five, if your singleness goes on too long, someone will finally get around to asking you, have you considered that you might be gay? So, wrote those words in 1998. So, but now we have the interweb. We have the interweb. And that's what old people call it. And, um... I thought, now we have the collected wisdom of the whole world all at once, all the wisdom. And so here in 2019, I thought, let's go on and see what advice we're offering single people now. I found the same five cheesy answers. I found all five of them, and I didn't find any new ones. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. The interesting thing about this is we study this passage from Paul, we find this His world and our world are not as different on this point as we might have thought. And what Paul does with these two factions that he's got, putting different pressures on single people, is super interesting. I I do think we're going to learn something from uh, this ancient church community today. First thing we'll learn, Paul is single. Paul might have been a widower, we're not sure. But we know that in this, chapters, in this chapter we've been studying, he speaks to unmarried people, then he speaks to divorced people, then he speaks to married people, then he speaks to widows and widowers. And in that section he says, I wish everyone were single just like I am. Now, maybe by coincidence he just happened to say that line then, or maybe when he got to widows and widowers, that was the group that he was the most like. And so he said that. We don't know. We do know he was single. Second thing we can learn from this passage is that Paul celebrates singleness. Verse 7, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just like I am. Paul feels like singleness offers people, uh, makes people more free to serve God. And he's right. I want you to hear how he explains it in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. 
But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. And so Paul does something here that you did not do lightly back then. He goes against Roman culture. Romans were very conformist. The Roman idea was there's a right way to do everything and good Romans do it that way. And so if you're over there trying to be unique or special, they're like, that's bad, that's probably dangerous. And so they did not like non-conformity. So for Paul to say, you know what? Serving God is more important than society's expectations on you. That was an even bigger deal in his culture than it was in ours. We allow for a little uniqueness and a little specialness. Romans allowed for none of that kind of nonsense. So Paul had to be very serious about that in order to offer that to his church. He says that there is an awesome power in singleness, an awesome focus that can bring you very close to Christ the Lord. And that's how Paul chose to lead his life. But he also would not give in to that faction in his church that said, yeah, only single celibate people are really serving God. He wouldn't go there either. In verse 9, he says, uh, but if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So if he says, if singleness is your distraction from God, then you don't have to. You don't have to. What a brilliant way for Paul to say, that kid's not agreeing with this. <laughs> Single people. All right. Um, what a brilliant way for Paul to say, oh, let me go back. Yeah, what a brilliant way for Paul to say, sex is not unholy. It was given to us by God. But it's not everything either. It's not the most important thing about us. Not by a long shot. As we studied uh, last week, or two weeks ago, this church had people who were having sex outside of marriage. They were purchasing uh, prostituted people. This church was a mess. So Paul had to restore relational and sexual order to this community. But he had to do it in such a way that he didn't put an awkward pressure on single people who were content and who were living just fine. And that's why he closes this whole section with verse 38. So the person who marries his fiance does well. And the person who doesn't marry does even better. So if we go for, to the Bible for advice or words to single people, we have uh, that a life of abstinence and singleness can be great and powerful. And marrying is good too. Serve and honor God in whatever you do. Wherever you are, serve and honor God and make that the most important thing. So if you look at our community today, look at the census that came out, 42% of households around this church are headed by single people. 42% of households in in the city that we're in are headed by single people. We don't have 42% of the church as single people. 
What does the church have to offer such a large group of people in our community? Well, I want to show you what happens when you talk about ministering to single people. Let's say that these stick figures on this chart represent all the single people in our community. Now, a certain number of them have never been married, but some of them will be soon. And some of them will be, but it's going to take a long time. And some of them will not be married. But of the ones that will not be married, some of them are okay with that. Some of them actually planned it that way. That was their intention. And some of them did not plan it that way. And that will be one of the great sadnesses and disappointments of their life. Uh, Some of these folks have been married before. Now they're divorced. And some of them will be remarried someday, but they just need some healing. For others, it's just a matter of uh, a time in life, you know, career or kid-wise. It's just not the right time for them to look into another relationship. And then some of them are not seeking any further relationships. They're like, ah, I've been there, done that. I'm fine. I'm good. Some of these folks lost a spouse, widows and widowers. And some of them will remarry. Some of them will not. Um, Some folks on here are parts of a sexual minority. They may be attracted to the same sex. They may have another attraction. And by their own interpretation of scripture, they feel like their attraction violates God's will for their life. And so they themselves don't want to do anything with that attraction. That's a very special type of singleness that requires the ministry and the support of the church. Some of these single people have children, and single with children is a whole different ball game. Some of these are, oh, this way, men. Some of these are women. Some of them are in their 20s, some in their 30s, some in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. When a church tries to minister to the single community, it feels like a lion facing a lion tamer who has a 20-legged stool. And you don't know which leg of the stool to bat at, or in our case, which of these needs to minister to, because each of these groups has very specific needs. They have very specific concerns. They have very different hopes from one another. They have very different ways that they pray and very different things that they're praying for in their life. Things they're content and discontent with. I've been in the room right now. We have one of every single person I described here. So what sentence could I say that wouldn't have some people say, oh, that's the most hopeful thing I've ever heard, and some saying that's the most hurtful thing I've ever heard? When things are this complicated, and this is complicated, the only thing that you can really do is pull back And be very simple. The only thing you can do is pull back and be very simple. One, two, three. So one. The scriptures celebrate the single life. And so should we. 
We can't be any part of a stigma that places a pressure on people to be married and say that's the only normal way to live or that's the only Christian way to live or that's the only life that God uses. We can't be any part of that kind of stigma because our scriptures don't talk that way. So neither should we. Two, Sex is good. Sex belongs in marriage. It's part of God's creation. Outside of marriage, it invites trouble and heartache. There's risks there. But sex is not the source of our identity. It is not the most important thing about us. Not by a long shot. None of us should be identifying ourselves by the sex we are or are not having. Used to be a biology teacher, so you always get these little biological anecdotes. But we have 10 body systems And the reproductive system is the only system you can be born completely without, and some people are, and still live a full, normal life requiring no medical intervention. If you're born without even part of your skin or a kidney or some part of your nervous system, you need a lot of medical intervention. You probably can't live at all. The reproductive system is the only system you can, can be completely lacking and still live a full and normal life. It cannot be the source of our identity or or what it means to be us. Three. The best people to form ministries from this community are folks who live in this community. They're the only ones who really understand. Single people must pull together in the church for one another and make ministry out of who they are and who we have here and what the needs are, and what makes sense. There ought to be Christian single groups of singles that go out together and they do all the fun things there are to do in Kansas City together, and it's a mixed group. It's guys, it's girls, dating is allowed, and that's what the group is, and there ought to be something like that. But there also ought to be a singles group, and and they're not into all that. They just, they meet, they read, they study prayer, the word of God. That's their focus. It's It's not a dating pool. It might be just guys. It might be just girls. It might be mixed. But there ought to be something like that. A group of widows or widowers who gather for grief support. Church ought to have something like that. But it also ought to have something for widows and widowers who are like, I still want to do fun stuff. I still want to travel. I still want to get together and play hand and foot. It's a card game. Um, I, you know, I still want to do fun stuff. I just don't want to do it by myself. There ought to be a group like that. And as you form these ministries, if you're hearing God's call to do that, you're probably going to have to make some compromises. You might let someone in your group who has kids, even though no one else does, you know, and then you have to address all the needs and issues that that creates, having one person in there with kids. You might have to let your group's age span a decade or two wider than you thought, have someone a little older in the group, someone a little younger than the rest of the group. But don't you know that God often shows up in those compromises when we include others in community? That older person you let in the group may provide a wisdom and insight and perspective that God really can use to bring to the rest of you. That younger person you let in the group can bring a freshness and an energy and a help with your technology that you really need. (laughs) And some folks will leave your group after a time. 
because they met someone and they're not single anymore. But in these compromises and this flexibility as we try to minister to one another, the miracles of God really show up. And no one can do this for you. So here on small group kickoff Sunday, as we're forming all these new groups, perhaps you want to begin to pray now through the Christmas season. Is God calling you to minister to some part of this based on who you are and who is around you and what the needs are? In January, might there be some new group for a piece of what God wants to do? He won't call you to do all of that. But he might call you to do some part of it. I want to offer a bonus idea. This is pretty cutting edge, but it's a growing community in the Christian world called Spiritual Friendship. If you want to learn more about it, there's a spiritualfriendship.org website. This is a growing community of Christian. uh, Part of it, it's got many facets, but the part I'm talking about today is Christian couples who are inviting a single person to become a member of their family, making a spiritual commitment to them, adopting them into their family, not as a dependent, but as a family member, offering them stability and friendship for life. It would be a commitment as serious as marriage and ought to be considered that seriously. But uh, it's basically saying as long as you live, you can be a part of our family, a permanent roommate, a member of our household. This doesn't address all the difficulties of singleness, but it does is becoming a very powerful option, especially for Christians who cannot or are unlikely to get married for a variety of reasons. It removes that question of of constant aching loneliness or who will care for me if I get old and get sick. Married folk, and you know, no one knows who will actually be the caregiver and the care receiver, right? It may go any way, but you've made that commitment. So that may be something married folk want to pray about and discuss as a shape your Christian family in the future could take. It's a little out there, but it is happening and it is bringing uh, comfort and health and answering a lot of difficult questions in the Christian world. So check it out. Let us pray together. Father, I pray that we could be a church community that speaks as your scripture speaks, that when it comes to marriage and singleness, that you call all to you. Uh, There is none that you cannot use, that you cannot love and comfort, and that your glory and power cannot be displayed through. Help us be a church that speaks that way. We're all are welcome to come and hear God's call your call on their life and that we all encourage one another and pray for one another and live that out together pray for anyone lord that you may be calling to minister to some part of the single folks in our community they would be able to hear you clearly have the strength to answer and know that you will supply all that's needed to the one you call It is in the name of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.